Very nice. We unleash the meat. We unleash the meat and we start our first episode of Hermione's Breakfast Podcast. Ta-da! <laughs> A video and audio podcast that we are going to be doing every day at breakfast time. And it's going to be about everything that Hermione finds interesting. And it's going to be about, well, let me tell you the books that we have here. The Body Keeps the Score, Bessel van der Kolk. The Body Keeps Mind, Brain and Body in the Transformation of Trauma. Certainly very interesting it's title. It's a very interesting book. You've been telling me a little bit about it. Interestingly, also, coincidentally, we have been uh, watching some documentary series um, about the Vietnam War, which we haven't, we have torrent from the internet. Yeah, we haven't paid a penny for this, uh, all this patronizing bullshit in banking corporations that have financed the documentary. But the, the documentary is very, very interesting. It is. It's very mainstream type of documentary, mm -hmm. but it's still very informative. It gives you a, a, a whole frame of what is going on. And coincidentally, this man, yeah, Bessel van der Kolk, uh, he has written a book about trauma and it involves uh, many of the Vietnam veterans who were damaged. Yes, the first chapter is about veterans by the war yeah yeah and post-traumatic stress disorder which at the time wasn't diagnosed so it, they were in the process as a result of um the number of veterans um who i mean i don't even know what they would have called it if they didn't have a, a word at the time they were obviously like a large number of people are experiencing these symptoms or or struggling in this regard but there wasn't a word um so yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, as you can see where, where the bookmark is, I've not read a huge amount of the book, but it is very interesting. Um, and it's just actually got to um, where Prozac um, and other antidepressants hmm. um, kind of came onto the market and just how incredible the uptake was. Tell um, us about it, because you know about Prozac. Well, that's right, that I do, bit, right? which is actually linked with all of this. So I think, I mean... So the, the three books that are closest to you are ones that I'm currently reading. The three books further away are ones that have arrived within the last few days and at some point will be read. But I'm going to continue with these three for now. Yeah, that, one, one that you have been reading for a while yeah. is Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, A mm -hmm. Complete Guide to Women's Health and Well-Being by Dr. Christian Northrup. Northrup. Yeah. A woman, I like her a lot. Uh, I've seen a couple of interviews with her. Yeah. This is a huge book. It's, it's a Bible. It's a Bible for what? It's a women's Bible mm. for women's women bodies and women's wisdom. I mean, it really is. And I think, interestingly, she... So I got the Pussy of Reclamation. Oh, we're going to talk about we're gonna that. We're going to talk about that. That arrived yesterday. And she, I didn't realise when I opened it, she wrote the forward. So Christiane Northrup has written the forward for the that book um and actually she says that what's written in the book underneath which is by um i can't remember her name people call her mama gina but i don't know 
Regenta. Regi Regenta, Regina. Thomas Schauer. See, si. um, yes. Yeah, so the the woman who wrote the top book, the Women's Bible, has been on the courses of the other woman, and and is a teacher or was a teacher at her school of womanly arts. So which the has pussy now reclamation was the teacher of the Women's Bible. Or so the the person who wrote the Women's Bible um, on the top there was a teacher at the School of Womanly Arts, which was set up by the woman who wrote the bottom book. Um, but also, having been a teacher on that course, she then obviously did it herself, and I think her daughters also did it. So it's very much linked. Um, so what she talks about in Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom is... And I've only read a tiny bit of Pussy a Reclamation, but I think it's essentially about how you live and breathe that energy all the time which obviously is completely linked with your body. Um, but obviously with Pussy or Reclamation, it's... From my understanding of it so far, it, it's about re your relationship with that part of your body mm. and how that can transform the rest of your life, but also the rest of your body and the, the other organs in your body. Um, but also when you do have problems in that area it manifests in other parts of the body. Um, and that's what the top book often comments on is like, it's about your relationship with your own womanhood and your own femininity. And it, when something is off or there's trauma or something has impacted you, um, it often affects part of your functions in that way. So, okay, so, so she groups conditions. So if, for example, like ovarian cysts or numbness or, or should group different things, different parts of the body or different um, ways that if there is a trauma or if there's something that's not in alignment, how that might manifest in your body. Um, and I found it to be very accurate um, from what I've read so far. Okay, what, what have you found accurate about it? So let, let's focus on this one because you've been delving on this one for quite a while already. I mean, it's a thick book. Let me see. Almost a thousand pages. Mm. Uh, women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, yeah. The Complete Guide to Women's Health and Well-Being by Dr. Christiane Northrup. Yeah. Um, well, Deepak Chopra recommends this book for all women, mm. to all women. Mm -hmm. um, there you go. So let's go through the... Um, I've actually Index, just maybe. Um, downloaded the other day as well the audio version. So her mm. reading the book, which is like 51 hours. Um, so not only have I got the book there, I've also got the audio version um, and the PDF with different... Because there are different diagrams and things in there. Yeah. Um, I, guess, I guess anybody can go and buy the book and read it mm -hmm. or see reviews in YouTube. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff about this book on the internet. But so how has this been relevant to you in the context of everything that you're going through? Because you're also learning about spiritual sexuality. Mm -hmm. You are also in a new country. <laughs> you have gone through the years through, you know, quite a journey in terms of uh, healing process that you have started mm -hmm. for the last couple of years mm -hmm. and it will be interesting to see how this applies to specific cases right yeah. so what about that yeah well I think in terms of it's a very good question 
I think what I've found with that book is when you're trying to come to terms with things that have happened in the past from a place of they've already happened they're not current so it's like I'm not currently suffering with um really bad period pain for example or the initial trauma that happened after the removal of the fallopian tube um I I'm not in that place now but it's still part of my journey and it still impacts the way I think about myself and the views I have um and that's where it's interesting to trace things back and be like okay what could have caused those cysts to be there in the first place and actually the 17 18 year old version of me the way that person was thinking the way that person was living would have contributed to certain certain things happening in my body which i what i did have that sense of the time but then what happened was i just felt this sense of guilt um of this kind of like this thing has happened to me and it's my fault i've now this has been removed and then it was kind of um actually what happened afterwards was more a sense of being aware of something that had been taken away so I mean there's a very complicated web of things but through some of the explanations in the book there's a sense of okay um there were certain blockages that I was creating in my life and there were certain thought processes that I was allowing to run free and rampant um and I think in terms of your own creativity and your freedom of expression, um, the sort of mindset you have, then there's a sort of predisposition to certain conditions. And I'm not saying it's my fault I had these things. I'm just saying I don't have these things now. Why is that? But I did have those things then. Or I did... These things came up repeatedly during that period of time, but I'm completely free from them them now. What's different? Why is that? So there's Mm -hmm. definitely a link to um i mean they're lessons it's essentially your body is telling you something it's it's trying to make you stop yeah let me let me ask you a question because of course we started this is it's not going to be uh from the get-go a really structured way of (laughs) no (laughs) you know it's just a conversation and and i promise we're going to try to structure things in a way that that are going to make a lot of sense Mm. But I guess we could go into why are we doing this? So what is important for Hermione? What is important for you? Mm. So that you make the step to to make content about it. So what difference would you like? So from the perspective of a woman of, mm. you know, you're in your 30s, you're 32 years old. Um, and we both want to make a difference and we agree on, on many, many things. Mm. But of course, this is always taken from from your personal view. It's going to be different how you feel about certain things than what I feel. So I will never even consider to read these books myself now. It doesn't mean that I will never read them. It's just that I'm not there now. And it's also not relevant to you as a man in the same way. Oh, it is. But Mm. but, well, Well, not in the same way. It is. That's why we're having this conversation. But of course, it's not... I'm, I'm interested more because I'm curious. I'm not living through that. We were mm-hmm. talking about the other day about the fact that uh, it's hard for a man to actually even relate to the fact that you go through your period every month. And then when you start looking into it and you start treating people 
on, uh, you know, with the Buteyko method about their hormonal systems, it really strikes us like, wow, holy shit. This. Because it's not just that you go through a cycle, because if the cycle is, is working fine, it might even be something that is pretty good to go mm -hmm. through. Yeah, it's in yeah. the nature of things to be like that. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But so many women suffer with a, a, a complete deregulation mm -hmm. of that cycle. And mm -hmm. it's painful. Mm -hmm. And it's painful not just when it happens. It's painful before. Yeah. It's painful after. And you don't know what's going on. And, and there's so many changes. And so many women suffer from that. Yeah. And yet we are told or women are told that, you know, they got to be as successful as men. They got to, you know, yeah, yeah, woman, go out there mm -hmm. and, you know, take over the world, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a mismatch because, of course, if women were really healthy nowadays, they could probably do whatever it is they want to do. But their health is suffering. I, I can mm -hmm. see that a lot. Yeah. It's difficult to be a woman, not because it's difficult to be a woman in and of itself. It's difficult to be a woman today when there seems to be so many changes apparently in their favor, right? They have never lived in a society that is more open to the success of women. As, as women's rights is, is very obvious that you have the same rights as we do when you have them. <laughs> Because when you don't, you also don't. So we don't live in a free world. That's mm. very clear. I think that depends where you are in the world as well. Of course, it depends. I'm talking about Western culture. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, and yet, uh, let me tell you, you're not doing well in terms of health. Uh, you are taking charge of that, and that's very good. You mean me individually or women? Kind? Well, many women are, yeah. And there's a lot of... Um, there is a lot of information about mm -hmm. it that you can access. But I don't think the modern world actually favors women's health. It is a mm. lot of stress and stress is very bad for this thing that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, the menstrual cycle yeah. suffers a lot with stress. Yeah, I mean... And so talk about it. So I think the problem is, and I ha I've had the luxury now... And it does feel like a luxury. And I think the, the fact that I use the word luxury is interesting because it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be how you live your life anyway. But it feels like a luxury because I've allowed myself to slow down. And it's like the luxury of being able to stop. And it's like, well, I think firstly, that needs to be, you need to flip that round and see that as a, you just have to, if you're going to be healthy, and I'm not saying I'm going to have this pace of life always, but it's like for me, right now it's been... I mean, there wasn't any alternative, really. It got to the point where I was like, I had to stop. I had to perform a factory reset urgently. Otherwise, it was not going to end well. Um, and I think for a lot of people, maybe they're able to do that as they go along. and They're able to implement these things. But for me, it, it really had to be... I'm stopping, I'm removing lots and lots of things from my life and I'm going to take however long it takes to uh, tune into my body, essentially. 
but really tune in, not just a way that is like you've sort of got an agenda and you're going to steer your body in that general direction over a period of time. It's like, no, you're really stopping and listening with no expectation or judgment. And I think that's the hardest thing because often you, you want to be well and in your head you have an image of what that looks like and what kind of woman you want to be. And actually you need to completely remove that because as soon as you're trying to get yourself to be somewhere you're not actually listening to your body because that there are so many things that my body reveals to me that if you're not in a place where you're open to you're not listening and it's like now I realize that my body was like banging on the door for ages and I was just like my pain threshold just became incredibly high and it was like, I was just unstoppable. I mean, I wasn't, but it's like, I had this feeling of, I am, I know better than my body. I want to do all of these things and the, my body's not going to stop me. The, the pain threshold that many women have is unbelievable. Mm. I have none. I have not. <laughs> no, told, no. no, I have <laughs> You know that. I can absolutely yeah, I have no tolerance. That that is no true. tolerance. Yeah. I mean, sometimes even and with you, the slightest touch that's not expected is like, I mean, the sort of thing that some people wouldn't even register as, I mean, but you're very tuned in with your body in a way that's really inspiring. Well, I mean, there. I guess there's a virtue in the middle, right? Mm. You have incredible tolerance. I have known other women with incredible tolerance to pain. Mm. Um, even in sports, you mm. know, someone like Katie Ledecky, she's, uh, she's famous for that. Mm. That's why she can swim the way she swims. It's, it's almost suicidal. Mm. Yeah, um, but but I guess I mean there's a there's a good side to it, but mm. there's also a, a dangerous. I mean, pain is there for a reason. Yeah, if you have no tolerance for pain, well, that's also not so good, right? So I guess you yeah. have to have some some yeah. some some middle ground. But that sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, that's yeah, sure. where. So when I had the pain when I had the cysts that were on my fallopian tube. So I was 19 um, and my granddad had just died and I was in pain to the point where it was like, it was the most intense pain I'd ever felt. Like I was going to feel be sick, but it was just like, it would keep me up at night. Um, and it was kind of this constant, it felt like someone was squeezing something inside me. Um, but because my family were grieving and I was just like, you know, I didn't really know what it was. I just thought, you know, just don't really, you know, it's probably fine. Um, and I can't really remember exactly because it was quite a while ago, but I just remember that it got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go to hospital um, because this is not okay. So I'm going to have to tell my parents. And this would have been in the middle of the night or like early hours of the morning. And because I knew I was going into hospital and part of me knew it was serious, I hadn't shaved my legs. And so I went into the bathroom with this, like I was literally like, and now I know what was happening. It's like I had a cyst that was so big, it had caused the fallopian tube to twist around and cut off my blood supply. But even though I was in that amount of pain, I was like, okay, this is what needs to happen. My parents need to take me to hospital. I'm probably going to be in there, which means they need to do tests on me. So I should remove my body hair that I don't want to be seen by other people. And it's like, what kind of mind is that that mm -hmm. prioritizes 
how another person is going to see me and how other people are feeling because of different things over and above mm-hmm. what you're actually experiencing, which is incredible amount of pain. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I went into hospital and I, at the time um, I was still a virgin, so I'd never had intercourse with a man. Um, I hadn't had a boyfriend. I'd had a few sort of encounters with people, but are not anything significant. Um, so when they were doing these procedures, which were very... I mean, firstly, they kept asking me if I was pregnant. And I was like, it's literally not possible. And they didn't believe me. And I'm still in this incredible amount of pain. They didn't believe you. They didn't believe me. Um, and so they kept making me do pregnancy tests. And obviously I, I was there with my mum and I was just like, look, it's not possible that I'm pregnant. I haven't, I haven't actually had sex. So um, it's literally not possible. And then I was like, well, maybe is it possible if, if, if someone had ejaculated and it was on their fingers and then could it have got in that way? And I was having to have these conversations with my mum. <laughs> like... While I was still trying to figure out what the source of this pain was still unknown, I was in absolute agony. Um, they'd given me morphine. They were making me do these tests. And eventually they had to put me under general anaesthetic. Or I can't even remember exactly. They took me in to have surgery. Um, but before that, they did a series of very intrusive tests where they essentially um, put this sort of duck beak metal thing inside me to... And they were scraping. So it was incredibly intrusive. And that was the first time that I had been penetrated in any way was this medical intervention. And I think by this time they did know that I hadn't had to. But my mum was in the room. So she witnessed this. It was just like, I, I mean, obviously I was in a huge amount of pain. So that was the first thing was like, but then it was also like, I've ne- my body parts are on display to, it's literally like this is now a show for any any medical professional doctor nurse like they were met i think some of them were men i can't even remember i was like part of me just sort of shut down i was like okay my mum's here i'm in an incredible amount of pain i don't know what's wrong um and now i'm also having more pain because they're prizing me open scraping me with various things and then inserting this sort of massive um I yeah. don't even know what it is. This kind of these kinds of interventions are actually one of the causes of of infertility. I, you're not okay. But well, we, I mean that, but that is a really good point. You say I'm not, but from that time, so from nineteen, mm-hmm. I have been convinced mm. that I am, and that has just been. Mm. So before I'd even had sex with anyone, I was like, I am not able to have children, and that has been. Um, something that has shaped me in from that way. time well because it's it's a very unusual way to go to the order of things so it's like okay firstly i haven't i haven't had sex but now essentially maybe i i have because things that are shaped like penises have gone to places that are incredibly deep inside my body with a camera to see things um it hasn't been pleasurable at all in fact far like the opposite end of the spectrum mm-hmm. um and it's been very exposing and it's been witnessed by a large amount of people um yeah. and it wasn't just once so it's like that they did one version of that and then maybe another version of that and then it was like it got to the point where i'd be because once i was on an escalator 
and a, a man was coming the other way and I was just like oh that man's seen my vagina um because it's just like <laughs> it was it wasn't a consensual thing no. it was like these doctors are in the room or this person needs to see this thing and because they didn't know what the pain was it's obviously like you know they're trying to figure it out they have my best interests at, in, at heart in that regard but like for me it was like a very um traumatic traumatic but I think if it hadn't resulted in the operation that would have that trauma would have been the thing but that paled into insignificance with the removal of the fallopian tube so when they did realize they went in and found out what, what the thing was and by that point it it was too late so they'd removed the tube and I remember the I remember going into the operation obviously not knowing what they were going to do and then I remember waking up and this woman being there and I remember it so clearly I just like opened my eyes and looked at her and just said can I still have children and then went back to sleep again I don't even know what the answer was but it was like that was hmm. Of course. Literally there. And then it wasn't ever really answered. And then it was kind of like, okay, this has happened. And that the trauma of of the kind of the procedures and everything that had happened before didn't really, I didn't really no. think that that wasn't really relevant anymore. Um, but in terms of my sexuality, it was very much um, mm -hmm. not about pleasure. And it became quite reckless and... Um, not promiscuous in a bad way, but it was just like, I didn't have any, there was no sacredness there at all. Mm. It was, it wasn't a sacred thing. Um, so that, that, that sacredness aspect of your sexuality changed because of the trauma of this intervention. Well, I wasn't a sexual being. I, ha I wasn't sexually, I hadn't found myself sexually. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been in a relationship. I hadn't, that hadn't started yet. And that, sure. so my first experiences were, Obviously, keeping my virginity was a thing that I had done to the age of 19. So there was obviously a sense of like, even if I hadn't thought about it, there was a like, I wasn't just sort of throwing it away. I was keeping, <laughs> I was keeping it. Um, yeah. But then obviously after that, I was like, well, fuck it. I can't, what's, what's the point? It's like, you know. You, th you just throw it to the bin. Well, it, there was just no, the same. It was kind of like, it felt more like, well, that has sort of been done, but I should probably just, you know, get it out of the way um tell me tell me about the, the the sacredness around the sexuality of a teenager who who obviously is something very important uh, but maybe also something very confusing especially in our culture mm. right so is there is there like a natural impulse to protect that or to value that the sacredness of your sexuality or is it more something that is more cultural? Uh, how does uh, I mean, a teenage woman um, go about, you know, what is the experience that a teenage woman has of her sexuality from the point of view of something that you just described? Yeah, something mm. that is really deep, very important, mm. that needs to be kept, that, that is not something that you're going to go around just... I mean, you gave it up the moment you had a trauma around that, but before... It well, no, I mean, not be... quite. I mean, I think I waited maybe a year or so, or it was a bit of time. It wasn't like an immediate thing, but it was certainly my relationship to my own sexuality or what I thought sexuality was or what I thought sex was um, shifted. 
um, completely. Well, you didn't know what it was, right? Because <laughs> you, because um, perhaps, and maybe I'm wrong, you felt that this was something that you had to explore in a way that the culture of the time might have dictated to you. Mm. Yeah? yeah. And it might have been actually against your real yeah. sacred sexuality. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, very much could, so. Could, yeah. you, could you describe that? Um, well, I think that's something I... It reached a certain point where I thought there's something I haven't... I haven't tapped into here. I was like, I've got something wrong. Um, like I know there's there's more, and this isn't what sex is. This is what sex has become for me in my life. But this isn't. It's not pleasure. I think sex and pleasure actually, they're not always the same thing. <laughs> and I think, um, in terms of sort of sacred sexuality, it's not necessarily about sex. More a sense of, um, an awareness of your energies which can be pleasurable like the sensations of pleasure can be experienced with so many things not just sex um and sometimes i think um so was your whole sense of sensuality about the world affected by that i mean i was incredibly depressed mm. <laughs> so uh, i so, was and that was the origin of your depression that was the first, I mean, before that, I think my depressive episodes had manifested in ways that could be kept, I could control, I could keep them private. So I was quietly and in isolation depressed for periods of time. And obviously, as we spoke about before, I had an eating disorder. And I think that was a manifestation of a coping mechanism for those sorts of emotions that I didn't know what to do with. Um, but after the fallopian tube removal, it was just like, I could not function and it's like I remember writing a, a letter or an email that I sent to my parents and my brother just saying like I don't want to live like this is this is my reality right now I'm just really really depressed and mm -hmm. I don't know what I can't do I mean I couldn't do things that brought me pleasure didn't bring me pleasure anymore and I remember so even music. Exactly, I was going to say that. So it's kind of, I was at Academy and this whole thing had happened the first, my first year. So I'd been there um, a few months and it was Christmas holidays when the operation happened. And then it was, my yeah, so my granddad died. Then it was the operation, then his funeral. And then it was like New Year, my birthday, going back to Academy. And I went back and I was just... I just, I don't know. I mean, there was still a, a lot of kind of parties and that kind of thing going on, which before I'd been absolutely loving. And I remember being at this house party and just being like a shell. I was like, I was there in body, but like in spirit, I was just seeing it from this completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is not my, this is not what I should be doing. This is not mm -hmm. um, fun. It's not fun. But no one's, I'm not being seen. No one's seeing this. They're not, they're not seeing me mm. for who I really am and what I'm really feeling, what I'm really experiencing. Um, and then after that, I, it triggered a very so low how, point. How important is it to be seen? Um, I mean, I think for women, I mean, for people in general, in general, certainly for me, mm. <laughs> incredibly mm. important. And I think you know when you're being 
seen for different things. So I think for me, I with sex, I was able to control how I was seen. And it was almost like I could... It was like a game. It's like I know how, what and how and what I need to be and do in this situation to make this person find me attractive and to then... It wasn't even about... It wasn't about my pleasure at all because I didn't have any... I don't think any orgasms during that time. Like, I didn't... It was not a pleasurable experience, but it was more of a, like, proving to myself that I could. But then it was... Then it sort of wore off and I was like, well... Okay, so the thing that I hadn't done, I've now done. And it's like, this is how you do it. And this is how... If you want that, this is how you can go about getting it but then it was like but what's this for like why like what's the purpose of this because it's not about my play and I'm not being seen none of these people know who I am or seem to really care or want to know who I am um and then you become very tuned into that and you kind of um I don't know I mean that's certainly why I ended up doing the work that I do um was because which work um, so working with people with dementia, working with prisoners, working with ex-prisoners, working with people who have got mental health conditions, who are in hospital, um, basically people who I can identify with mm. um, because they aren't being seen and they want to be seen. Everyone wants to be seen, really. But I see um, there's no there's no judgment on your part. And in fact, you feel you feel very comfortable around these people. More comfortable. Yeah. While when you are with people who are quote-unquote normal, you, 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 you have still just a little bit of a defense mechanism going mm-hmm. on there. Mm. Um, yeah, but you're so good at it. I mean, it's unbelievable. The, the things you do with, this, with these people, which shows a reality about it. Mm. Right? So you're capable of... I guess now I realize that's because you've been there. You wanted to be seen despite the fact that you were not supposed to or you you were supposed to be judged in certain ways. And you saw that. You saw that veil between you and the world. Yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Let me ask you something. Mm. Uh, So when we speak, uh, we we are in tune with... uh, with what is it that we want to do. Uh, I personally want to change the world in a very humble way, yeah? Hmm. Wanting to change the world sounds really arrogant, mm-hmm. even really stupid even, but it, it's actually, it comes actually from a very humble point of view that, that you gotta do it, you have to do it person by person. Yep. And it's hard work which each and every person you realize also your own selfish point of view mm-hmm. that doesn't allow you to give yourself completely to the person that you're trying to help. Uh, also, in terms of time, in terms of time and energy, mm-hmm. you, which is fine, by the way, you 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 gotta give time for yourself, and you put attention to the things that you're passionate about. And the honest answer is that it's not actually always the person you're trying to help. Yeah. You're also interested about the subject mm-hmm. of what is it that people are going through and what is yeah. it the society actually needs. So it's like a very humble way of going about it within the, 
the arrogance of the ego that that is saying like yeah you know i'm i'm important i'm gonna mm -hmm. make a difference here yeah which that's also fine you know i'm not mm -hmm. judging it or, or putting it down the ego is the is the donkey that took christ into jerusalem yeah mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's important but it's still a donkey mm -hmm. okay so you gotta manage it mm -hmm. well yeah um so so why am i saying this i'm interested to know i know that you also want to make a difference in the world but from your perspective and mm. as a woman mm. what is it that you would like to see happening in your life and as a result of your life making a difference in the world well i think not to be arrogant but i know i've already done that um Mm -hmm. So I know I can do it. Mm -hmm. But what the difference now is coming to that from a place of being whole within myself and connected to myself. Because before, um, I can't remember exactly what you just said, but it, it made me think of there's your reason for doing something. Um, and sometimes that is kind of, you know, because it makes you feel good about yourself. And for me, it was like, I I obviously wanted to make a difference. Um, but it was as much for, I mean, I needed that. It's like, if I didn't have that element of work in my life at that time, I would have had, I mean, in terms of a sense of purpose and connection and meaning, it's like I had, I'd lost that. I had that with music and then that was damaged and that was, I was struggling to find that again. And then through that work, it was it's a mutual, a mutually beneficial exchange. Um, it was like I was also being nourished and healed through that process. It wasn't a form of kind of pure altruism. It was like I am benefiting from this as well. And I'm also finding a way to apply my skills. Um, that's not what I envisaged for myself, but it's like it's still hasn't been for nothing the, the suffering and pain hasn't been for nothing but also the the musical study in such an intense way hasn't been for nothing either mm. um so it was okay it's a rebranding of what i thought i was and who i thought i was going to be um and now i guess it's it's a similar thing but i don't feel the set because what i always had with this sense of urgency and i was always pushing forward I was pushing myself forward faster than I was able to keep up with so I'd have all of these ambitious goals and I'd make them all happen um but then it was kind of like well what next and I just keep on going but I said I didn't really know what I was doing it for but everyone seemed to be very happy um so it's like well I'll just carry on doing it then but now it's kind of I know I can make things happen it's like if you if I have an idea and I, I think okay how do I make that happen so I know I can do it I know I can it's not like I just have dreams and then nothing happens. It's like, I know I can make things happen, but it's now from a place of like, okay, knowing that I can make things happen, what do I really want to happen? Um, so what do you really <laughs> want to happen? Well, I mean, with, and that again, even it's, if it's vague, you well, know, it is vague, like but it, what there, I want to happen vision. is, is for the thing that I end up doing, which is happening all the time already is for, to not lose that connection to myself. It's like, that's what I, that's for me, the, the most important thing now is, is knowing that 
I can make connections with people often like non-verbally even and those are some of my favorites um but it's it's knowing that I can do that and knowing that my ability to do that will be deepened through what I'm the process I'm going through now and I don't feel that same sense of urgency or rushing because I I know that what I did before will be infinitely richer um and everything I've done has always emerged from somewhere in terms of my career opportunities present themselves and then I feel yes I want to be in alignment with that that feels right for me and that's happened I mean that there's never been a job that I've just applied for like (laughs) it's always been like someone's been like we're looking for someone to do this and I'm like yeah that would be really good or someone would come to me and say oh would you be interested in doing this and I think yeah that would be really good um but it's often I've not actually been qualified for the thing or I've not had experience doing the thing and then I and so I feel like that now it's kind of I'm not going to superimpose an idea onto my life an idea will form out of living (laughs) out of living the way I want to live Mm -hmm. um yeah, so I don't have a fixed answer. I just know that it will involve living the way I want to live authentically and fully and and then um, finding ways to include others in that um, in a way that would mean that they'd probably live a life that looks very different because it's not about kind of living a certain way and then wanting other people to live exactly the same. It's like, okay, well, I know how different my life is now to how it was before. And for me, the experience of living is completely transformed for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people are still living, especially now, with the world the way it is. Um, a sense of kind of isolation and fear. And even people who weren't suffering before are suffering now. Um, so you started to be being very connected to yourself mm. I mean as a child I mean I heard from your mother say things like oh her mind is becoming more like she, when she was a child yeah yeah um, so you had that connection as a child which many people will relate to this of course mm-hmm. and then you had your passion with music that mm-hmm. made you sort of continue that connection with mm-hmm. the greater the greater world, the greater universe. Yeah, but music is so incredible. Actually, it's really a, a subject to to delve into in so many ways, philosophically, emotionally, technically. Um, then you lost that, and then you started to make a difference in people's lives, like very directly, precisely because you had lost that, mm-hmm. and you wanted to connect again. So you help people to connect again. And yet you had lost yourself, you have forgotten yourself. Mm. And now through the quiet and non-rushing connection to yourself again, Mm. you might be able to do it all because you're a very efficient person. You have great sense of compassion, great ability with connection to a more spiritual um, aspect of life through music. And... It's, it's about integration, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to integrate everything in order to be really 
it's funny it, it, it has to it has to seem almost matter-of-factly yeah mm -hmm. like something clicks in you and and then suddenly people start to gravitate towards you mm -hmm. and you're, you're a bit surprised by that you're like oh well the changes that happened happened inside is this mm. i've done so have had some realizations through action don't get me wrong is this mm. you take action on on those things that you want to find out about but at some point things start clicking and people somehow see it um, one of my favorite dictums is that there's nowhere to hide mm. there is nowhere to hide mm -hmm. And the moment you try doing that without, you're not going to fool anybody. Mm -hmm. Maybe at some level you will, but on a real level, in, especially in terms of what is going to really make a difference in your life, yeah. you're not going to hide anywhere. You're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Because also you'll be hiding from yourself. Yeah, I was exact, that's and, exactly what I was going to say. And, and that's, that's a killer. It kills your yeah. life if you do that. Yeah. So... Great. Uh, so we have, you know, breakfast. We still have plenty of breakfast left. How was your coffee? Was Personal it? testimonials. <laughs> yes. The coffee is delicious. Very, but very, very good. I, I do thank you for this breakfast and for the idea. Well, the coffee, which is the heart of the breakfast, was done by you. See. Si. See. Si. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You do good coffee. It's mm. very good. Yeah, but I think we both have a similar, because I was just thinking about Batego when you were talking just then, in terms of, because um, obviously that helped me a lot, mm. but it's one of many things um, that it's kind of a holistic package that you can create for yourself and for every person that's going to be different. But for me, obviously, Batego is part of it, but there are other things that, that enhance that and make the benefits of that even greater. Mm -hmm. um, and I think to be able to share those experiences with other people or to guide other people through a similar process, I think it requires you to have already been through that process yourself, yeah. almost beyond the point that you wish to guide people to. It's like you have to have gone that bit further so that you can say, okay, this is, this is I know, I know I've navigated it up to here myself. So I can safely navigate others to this point, which may not be quite as far, but it's like, because you're continuing always to, to go forward yourself. Um, yeah, it kind of comes to you after a process. Yeah. And it's almost like it's not up to you. Mm. And then you realize, oh, I am being required to be of service yeah. here. And yeah. actually, then you realize that that's what you always wanted in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and all, all the selfishness mm -hmm. kind of starts to dissipate. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with selfishness. You have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to be responsible about yourself. And there's always so many things that you have to work on from a selfish point of view. Yeah. You know, meaning not in the bad sense of the word. Of, of course, there is a there is a there is a way in which you can be selfish mm. that is detrimental towards others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the wrong way of being selfish, but you can mm -hmm. also focus on yourself to get better at yeah. things. And, 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 that's and, far and, from and that selfish. never ends. You have to always do that. You got to keep yourself yeah. healthy. Yeah. 
because otherwise you can't do anything for yeah. anybody. So yeah. actually, it's not selfish because you got to take care of your finances. You got to take care, <laughs> you know. Hmm. So yeah. your relationships, you hmm. know that those are also for you. You need them. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, so let's leave it there for today. Mm. I hope this is. It will. It will. T it will take shape little by little. Yeah, it certainly will. You. You certainly have a lot of interests, and you're reading a lot, and there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations. And people need it. They need you. I know that. Mm. Mm. And you're looking always more and more beautiful every day. And that's the, the that's the inner work. There's no makeup yeah. that mm. can do that. Yeah, no, that's true. Mm. Yeah, but it also it's kind of going back to time. It's like if you try and put a like, okay, I'm going to be better by this time, or I'm going to be. It's like it just you just need to open yourself to the fact that it's like it may or may not ever happen. But it's like you've just got to. It's like your your poem about the cliff. It's like you've just got to jump off, and mm. maybe it will work out, and maybe it won't. But it's like if you don't have that kind of leap of faith and I think often for people for a, a big transformation to happen first there has to be like a complete breakdown or not a breakdown even necessarily in a hysterical way but just a releasing of layers of stuff that don't, it's just like you've just got to let it go because it's, it, the whole time you're keeping those things in place there's only so far you can change because you're corseting yourself um, mm. and I think that takes a lot of courage um, and the ultimate layer is to realize that you are already dead mm -hmm. and forever alive so what the fuck <laughs> are you taking all those fucking vaccines for when you are actually doing okay mm. there you go now we can't put this in YouTube. I was so going to say, have you just YouTube. hijacked my first podcast? I just hijacked your, your YouTube. I was going to go viral. Yeah, that's it. Literally, how ironic. Yeah. Odyssey. It goes to Odyssey. That's it. Thank you. Muchas gracias por escuchar. Un beso.